This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Kia ora, e te Welcome to the AA Live radio show. This is the show that explores the ideas behind the way of recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous program. It is lovely to have you out there listening tonight. The Alcoholics Anonymous sorry, service is, is based purely on volunteers within the fellowship. And uh, unfortunately, due to having a head cold, which resulted in some time isolating at home, I um, waiting for my COVID test results, which thankfully did come back negative, I have been out of rhythm this month. <laughs> with uh, getting the show organised. So unfortunately, this means I am hosting without my lovely co-host Chrissy this month. Uh, but in saying that, let's get on with the show and message of the programme of recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm going to start tonight with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Thanks, folks, for joining me in that. Look, I'd just like to uh, let you know that what I talk about here today is just my opinion. It is not the opinion of those in AA as a whole. Um, That's kind of important for us to know. But uh, I'm going to read what we call the AA preamble. Excuse me. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So as I mentioned earlier, we are purely based on volunteers, I suppose. We're just a, a group of people uh, helping helping each other. That's uh, pretty much it. So I'm going to introduce the daily reflection today. It's a bit of a spirit lifter. It is the 15th of February. It's called Taking Action. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialise if we work for them. And that's from the Alcoholics Anonymous book, uh, page 84. One of the most important things AA has given me, in addition to freedom from booze, is the ability to take right action. It says the promises will always materialise if I work for them. Fantasising about them, debating them, preaching about them and faking them just won't work. I'll remain remain a miserable, rationalising dry drug. By taking action and working the 12 steps in all my affairs, I'll have a life beyond my wildest dreams. I have to say, folks, I thoroughly enjoy that reading because for me, uh, it's true. Um, Through working these steps, and I haven't finished working the steps, I might add, too, (laughs) um, I have changed the whole way I look at life. I, I, um, I know I have to get on to it, do the work. If I do the work, things will happen. Things will change. It, uh, yeah, there's, there's no point in standing around and, and what I've heard is called the pity pot. Um, you've got to get on and do it. And, yeah, the dry drunk is, well, I, I've had plenty of time being a dry drunk by day. I have given up drinking many times only to relapse. But when I did give up, 
I still had the same actions and behaviours of somebody who was drinking. And I wasn't always a nice person. Uh, I'd still get irritable, discontent. I'd, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't good. So I have to say, uh, yeah, that taking action. If I sat in a room, in the AA rooms, and thought, oh, this is going to change me, I just have to come here and be present, well, it's not the case. I have to be present and do the work. And, um, yeah, I am reaping the rewards of that um, and uh, enjoying life has a lot more enjoyment in it than it used to. Anyway, you are listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. It is lovely to have you all here with us. I am actually going to play a song. Now it is from In Excess and it is the original Sin. Now I remember seeing this band when I was 15 years old with my best friend at the time. We got our outfits together and we saw them live in the Wellington Town Hall. Must have been going back to 1980. Well I'm not going to say actually because then you'll work out how old I am. (laughs) But um, yep it was in the 80s and we stood at the front, we went deaf (laughs) because we were right in front of the speakers. It was the best concert. It was great fun. So enjoy this song, folks, and uh, we'll be back with you shortly. Oh, oh, oh. 
I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. <laughs> Look, we have 12 steps and 12 traditions in AA. Uh, February aligns with the step two, which is the uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And um, this was a hard one for me, actually, when I first sat in the rooms. I was not a believer of God at all, um, certainly not the God of, of church. Uh, it took a while for me to comprehend the spirituality of this program. And I think the big word being there is spirituality. It's, um, this is, it's, yeah, you can break this down as a God of my understanding. And... Uh, that I had heard that it was AA was quite a God program and that that made it less appealing to me. Uh, but once I realized I wasn't going to have to attend church, my relief, yeah, well, I must say it was a bit huge. Anyway, my spirituality has grown and I think those words of a God of my understanding has been really prevalent to me. So as my spirituality has grown through my sobriety journey, everything has got bigger and my mind has been open to it so something I'm truly grateful for these days is my higher power um, it's worked miracles through my sobriety I'm constantly surprised at the strength I get and the positivities I have in my life today because I was open-minded I was willing and I was honest with my recovery. I still am all of those things, not was. I shouldn't say that. Um, if you come in willing and that open mind uh, and be honest, really be honest with yourselves, it is, uh, yeah, it is, it works. That's all I can say to that, I suppose. Look, I'd like to read to you from the big book. Now, the big book is sort of our... Well, it's our guidance, really. Um, it's a basic text for us to follow through our journey of recovery. There's a section in the appendix that I think summons up this step two pretty well. It's uh, part of appendix two, and it's called the spiritual experience. So I'd just like to read that to you. This is just a section out of it. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself he finally realises that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that we have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. And I have to say yeah, that that sums sums it up for me. So I find that reading quite um, 
enlightening and it helps me have an understanding of where we're going in the program and I did not notice the change like it wasn't like I had a lightning bolt and all of a sudden I noticed the change in myself it wasn't like that at all uh, for me it was literally over time and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure of a time too I have to say but this next song that I have picked, and I hope you tap your toes to it, this song is chosen by somebody uh, very special to me, and uh, we heard this through lockdown actually, and it's from a band called Las Carla, and it's called the Ketchup Song, so enjoy this one folks. to that one. <laughs> Look, I have searched through our archives here and I found an interview with Anita that dates back to 2019. Uh, she shares her experience and, and what life is like now. She caught up with uh, Tony and Modaka a while ago. Anyway, personally, I always enjoy hearing her share when we're in the same meeting. I hope you enjoy this it's, uh, as much as I do. So enjoy. Thank you. Um, yeah, for a start, I'm Anita, and I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic, and um, I'm glad to know that that is what I am today. Um, in the beginning, I can go right back to my preschool years, and um, uh, or, or very young years, five, six, seven, and I always felt different. 
Um, I didn't really have friends. Um, I didn't talk. Uh, and and that's how it was when I was really young. That's how I remember life. I got older. Nothing changed. Um, I uh, I went to high school, and um, I had one or two friends at high school. But um, I always felt uh, that I wasn't wasn't worthwhile. I wasn't. Um, I felt very um, insecure. And, um, like, I, I just wasn't uh, – it wasn't worth me attempting anything because it was never going to be any good anyway. And and that's just how I felt about myself. Um, I had – I didn't come from a dysfunctional family. I had a, I had a very loving mother. I had a very uh, controlling and domineering father um, who I was scared of. But he was never physically abusive. Um, and he didn't. He wasn't a heavy drinker, um, which was, you know, in comparison to my mum, who was. In hindsight, now she was an, definitely an alcoholic, but uh, managed to control her drinking. Um, yes. Yeah, so, but anyway, in my in my younger years, that's 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 how I was. I just I was full of fear and um, insecurities, and um, yeah, I just couldn't understand how people could talk to other people or or do the things they were doing. I would I, I had an episode when I was about ten where I spent a week of wagging school because I knew I had to do a school you know, a school talk and I just couldn't cope. Uh, so that was my younger years anyway and um once I got to about I got my had my first taste of alcohol when I was about fifteen and um I was going on holiday with my cousin at the time, we were both, she was 16, so she was sort of taking care of me. We were getting on the train, going to Picton and across on the ferry to Wellington to my auntie. And um, she managed to get this, um, get hold of a bottle of whiskey. Um, so that was my first taste of alcohol. Um, I drank it. I don't remember any of that trip. I remember very little bits and pieces of it. And I was a mess when I got to Wellington. Um, I'm not sure how my mother and father never heard about it. My mother, my auntie covered for me. So, um, yeah, and that, that was my first taste of it. I didn't taste it again. I was really, really sick from it. didn't taste it again until I left home at the age of about 17 and joined the Air Force. And um, then, you know, I really learned to drink very well in the Air Force. Um, <laughs> it was a, uh, it was, yeah, well, I... I drank so well that I managed to be asked to leave, and you know it's 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 not not normal to really I guess a normal day's work to be asked to leave the one of the forces. So um, yeah, so I I that's but I loved it, and I it, it gave me a sense of freedom. I could do things that I've always wondered how other people could do, and I found I could do it as long as I had my drink inside me, top myself up most days, and. Um, yeah, I was the life of the party. I could dance, I could sing, I could play the guitar, I could do all this stuff that other people could do sober. And um, I, I couldn't understand how they could do it. But anyway, finally I could do it. So, um, yeah, that was that was sort of my early days of drinking. Um, I got married, had four children. And in that time I didn't drink a lot. I had you know, play times when I, I would go out and get absolutely off my face not remember the next day, but it, it, to me it wasn't a problem. Um, my, my husband at that time pretty much sort of did the same thing, so we were doing it together, and um, life wasn't too bad. But um, you know, things sort of changed. Um, as I got older, and my I was, I was starting to binge drink more often, and um, I would go, I would start at overnight and go for a couple of days, still married at the stage, Having children, who um, you know, when I look back now, I'm surprised they still they were still with me, um, because I wasn't I was dragging them up at times, not bringing them up. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was it got bad enough that um, I guess I, I I was getting to the stage I was walking out the door the next day, and afraid of who I might see down the street if I'd seen them the night before. 
couldn't really remember what I'd done the night before in a lot of cases. And in, 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 in some cases, actually, I found I was waking up in places that I'd had no idea, absolutely no idea how I got there. And I was looking around not knowing the people I was with. It was starting to get pretty scary. Um, to this day, you know, I don't have any recollection of that. Uh, yeah, so, um, that was, yeah, I guess that was my early, yeah, yeah, some of the early times. What happened? What happened? I I I left my husband, and um, because things weren't weren't going well, and um, I I met a um, another man who um, introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous. He was um, in recovery, and suggested to me that you know I might be able to find something there that could help me. Um, at this stage, I still didn't think I had any problem with alcohol. Um, so what if I went out and got absolutely off my face? Um, I, I I just didn't want to believe that I had any problem. Anyway, um, for him, I decided I would go and um, do some meetings in AA, uh, which I did. And out of respect for the other members, I decided I don't have any problem. I'm not an alcoholic, so I'll just give the drink up. And um, and I won't. I don't need to drink. I did that for twelve months. I did a meeting every day, and I sat in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, listening to other people's stories, not really relating. I was looking to the dif- for the differences, and um, the differences were th- which I was finding was that I wasn't drinking out of a paper bag, yet. Um, I wasn't homeless yet. I hadn't lost my license yet. I hadn't even been up before the courts yet. They were all yets. And um, I realised that where my drinking had come thus far, that that was a real possibility that that could happen. I also wanted to hold on to this relationship that I had because it was very, you know, it was important to me. So I decided, okay, I'm just not going to drink. As a consequence of that, after 12 months, I was at the point where I was ready to end my life because my my head was crazy. Um, my drinking, I used that to cope with all those feelings and to cope with the fear and, uh, uh, yeah, that, the real fear that I had in me. I couldn't do anything. So I'd taken the drink away and I had no way of living. Um, so, yeah, I was ready to end my life. When I shared this with my partner at the time, he suggested that he didn't pull any punches. He just suggested I get along to a meeting and rather than just sitting there, I actually start opening my ears and listening, start listening to some of the similarities, um, which I did. And um, as much as I didn't want to be an alcoholic, I recognised that's what I was. Um but then I had to accept it. It was easy enough to say, yes, I'm an alcoholic. I had to accept it really deep within me. And um, I, I, I didn't want to. I fought and I fought. Um, I, I really, uh, but after, and I, like I say, after um, getting to that point where I'm ready to end my life, I really had no choice. Okay, I'm going to, I'm hearing these people in these rooms, they're smiling, they're laughing, they're doing all these things without drink. How do I live without drink? So I had to look at the program, and um, I went into, at that stage I was an atheist. I didn't want to believe in any God, and when I saw that on the wall, I thought I'm not staying or hanging around here anyway. But, you know, today, it's it's different today. I, I, I had no choice. I had to believe in a power greater than me, because that is, I replaced that with my drink, I guess. Um, yeah. Mm. I didn't have any of that stuff when I was drinking. It was all about me all the time. Um, yeah, so uh, it's just it's just really great to be able to wake up in the morning and and remember what I did the night before, and know where I've been, know what I've said, and and have genuine kindness and um, and people in my life that I love, genuine friends, and I I never had any of that. Oh, sure, I had people in my life that I loved. But um, it was, today it's just a a real different, um, different life. Um, you know, I've, I don't, 
I hope I never, ever find any reason to have to drink again. Um, during my sobriety, I've had... I've been through weddings. I've been through birthdays, 21st. I've been through three funerals. I had my mother pass away. That was devastating. I had my father pass away. Then I had my late partner, who I started recovery with, passed away. He passed away sober after a lot of years sober and um you know and that was that was really really the hardest thing I've ever had to go through but I didn't have to drink over it and now I hope today that I never ever have to find a reason to ever drink again because um that was just one big dark hole most of the time and uh, you know I thought I was I thought I was living and I, that wasn't living today's today I've got an awesome life I've got a really awesome partner and you've heard him singing and um, and uh, yeah, just um, he's just absolutely wonderful. In fact, you know, the best thing that's happened for me. So, um, you know, but that would not have happened if I'd been drinking. You know, not, none of the, none of my life would be happening today if I was drinking. So, um, I just, for me, I need to keep going to meetings, and I even after all these years, I still do at least two to three weekends meetings a week. Because I relate to stories, and you know, I've got a certain amount of fear that about me. It's a healthy fear. If I stop doing meetings, my head might tell me I just don't have a problem any longer. I've 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 cured my disease, and I I know that that's never ever going to happen. I'm always going to have this disease, and I always have to treat it. My treatment is going to Alcoholics Anonymous, and um yeah, and and so I I still do. Two to three meetings a week. We're about to go back on the road, and um, you know, I know wherever I am, I'll always find friends of Bill W. And I have that on the back of my van, and um, you know, and we know who that is. So, you know, it's just just a really awesome life today. And if anyone's struggling out there and think they just might have a little problem with it, come along. It's not going to cost you anything at all. Just sit in the rooms and and have a listen. So, thanks for listening to me. What a wonderful lady. I really enjoy hearing to her and listening to her. Look, I'm going to put on a song now. Again, uh, this one is from Emily Sunday. It's called Breaking the Law. When you need to smile, but you can't afford it. Go and point it out. I'm going to steal it. When the flow is more familiar than the ceiling I will break in late at night Shake up how you're feeling I'll never stop Breaking the love for you I'll never stop What you need, ignore the alarms, ignore the police. I'll never stop breaking the law for you when you're taking steps, but you need to go faster. We can speed through streets so the shadows can't catch you. When the corridors and all the stairs are making you tired I will come for you, set the building on fire I'll never stop breaking the law for you I'll never stop helping to Ignore the police I'll never stop Breaking the law for you I'll never stop Breaking the law for you I'll never stop 
Whatever it takes to get what you need Ignore the alarms, ignore the police I'll never stop Breaking the love for you Okay you are listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. Now, I was honoured this uh, week that I sat down with my son <laughs> and I just uh, had a, a, a quick chat with him and he let me record it. Uh, on my phone uh, so um, please have a listen to this uh, he's a very shy young man but um, he he was pretty honest and, he, and one of the things he said to me before I hit the record button was do you really want me to be honest mum at which I had to uh, I would honestly, you know, say yes please do be so yeah have a listen to this little conversation I hope you enjoy that Hi folks, I'm sitting here with uh, my son actually of all people today and this is going to be an honest conversation that we decided to record. So um, welcome along, how are you? Good. Good, cool. Hey uh, I just wanted to ask you because I'm no, I, I know you've gone through this journey with me and so forth on my sobriety. And I just wanted to ask you, what what was it like being my son when I was drinking? What it was sometimes kind of scary because sometimes when you're lashed, lashed out. Yeah, yeah. And so what would you find, what, what would you think of me when I did that? A bit scary. Yeah. And not really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Because there were times when I used to say to you, put the music on loud and let's dance. Did you find that, um, like, did you find that fun or was that like? Yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah. (laughs) And how often did my Jekyll and Hyde come out? Quite often. Quite often, did it? Did it come out when I was um, not just drinking, though? Was it? Yes, sometimes. Yeah. Can you talk to me about that? What what was that? Like what? I would yell and stuff at you and. Yeah. Yeah. Would I lose my temper a bit quicker? Yeah. So when you look at what that time was like, because just for listeners, I – uh picked up again when my son was three um just over three and I put it down again when he was eight so he had five years of me drinking um and um yeah we had quite a few changes in there I think I did I think I moved like we moved four times or something, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we now call uh, well, mum's geographicals, but some of them were actually, yeah, our last geographical was to where we live now. And I think that was a good move, wasn't it? What yeah. do you think? Yeah. Is it, well, it's been a healing place for me. Yeah. What's it been for you? It's been nice, nice. Yeah. So what's life like now living with me? It's nice. I like living with you. You do? What does it involve? What has my recovery done involved for you? Um, I have to go to meetings with you. Right. And they're actually not that bad. Because yeah. I know it's helping you. Right. So I go with you. <laughs> well, we don't have much choice, do we? Because it's just you and me. <laughs> but um, if... You've watched me transition into something different. What do you see now compared to what you saw then? Um, that you're nice. Right. And a bit kinder. A bit and you kinder. don't lash out as much anymore. Right. And when I do lash out, is that just me being a parent, is it? Yes. <laughs> We've identified <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the bottle. Yes. <laughs> okay. 
some of them do. Yeah. Do you find um, my behaviour in general, is, have I become more honest with you? Yes. How does that affect you? Do you, uh, do you like it? Yeah. Yeah? Do we have more fun times, do you think? Yeah. Do you want to tell me one of those fun times? Are you about an experience of one of those fun times? Um, when we moved out here, oh, that yeah? was a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> you liked the slasp house yeah. move? Yeah, you like where we live, don't you? Yeah. Um, just so you know, my, my son is 11, so, yeah, and, and very shy. So this is quite a big thing for him to do with me. So tell me, would you want me to pick up again? Would you want me to pick up drink again? No. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. No. Yeah. Because I like how you like now. Compared to how I was then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And do you... If... So we no longer have to um, do some late night runs to the bottle shop. <laughs> True. We did do those, didn't we? I'm sorry, we did those. Because there was no wine in the fridge. Ah! Mm, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sadly, my son did know. You knew all the bottle shops in town, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You remember that one you liked the most? Because it had what? Was it the jelly jo- beans. The jelly beans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still drive past that place for work and I see it and I think, <gasps> It's the jelly bean place. Yeah. You ever want to get jelly beans from there again? Just jelly beans? I'll go into the bottle store yeah. and just get jelly beans. Would that be funny? <laughs> go in and then only spend like $2 on jelly beans. <laughs> Couldn't we do that at the supermarket? No. No? Okay. Well, maybe. Yeah. I'll see. I'll see how strong I'm feeling. Uh, do you find it too now? Do you find it's easier to bring in the shopping without mum's clanking? Uh, yes. <laughs> That's terrible. Mm. Yeah. Do you think you have a better life now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're happier for it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm happier for you too. I enjoy our life now. Do you think it's going to keep getting better? Yes. You had a little reservation there. What was that about? I was just thinking. What? That if it was going to get better. Yeah. Did you think maybe there was a part that wouldn't? Yeah. What was that? Um, That we were still fight. Oh, right. Yeah, that's that parent-child thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's quite hard. It's hard for both of us, I think, sometimes. So have you learned anything in particular from AA in your journey? No. No? No. You're kidding me, really? Yeah. Do you ever say the serenity prayer? No. You do. There was a time there, listeners, when we would be in the car and I'd say, just say this when he was getting anxious about stuff. But, yeah, it's not um, not something you do every day, is it? No. But you've watched a lot of changes in mum, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember still to this day that he turned around and said to me, I'm really glad you don't drink anymore, mum. Do you remember that day? Yes. Yeah. It was a good day, wasn't it? Yes. (laughs) Well, thanks for sitting down and having this honest conversation with me. That's okay. I love you. You're wonderful. Cool. (laughs) All right. See you later, darling. Bye. Bye. Now, that is one person that I would break the law for. (laughs) Okay, folks, I want to do another little reading here for you. And this is one that people said to me I should look at all the day. It's also from every day, you know, have a read at the end of every day or at the beginning of every day. And while I don't necessarily do that, I do peruse it every now and then, and I find it helps me get back to uh, keep my feet on the ground. So it's from our big book. I'll have a read of this. It's from page 86. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. 
Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others? Of what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse or morbid reflection. For that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures, sorry, measures should be taken. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration an intuitive thought or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still and experienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely, re, rely upon it. And I enjoy that reading, folks. It's, it's true. Uh, I was actually talking to my sponsor the other day and I sort of had a little moment going, oh, geez, it just happened. It just happened. So that's pretty much near the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been lovely to be here. I really am grateful that you've given me this opportunity. And uh, I remind you all that if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. So please don't hesitate to call 0800 AA Works. You can get a meeting list. You can even talk to another alcoholic on the phone because we are the volunteers that answer that line. So please don't be afraid to pick up the phone. That phone number is 0800 AA Works. That's 0800-229-6757. We also have a web address, which is aaotago.org.nz. Please don't hesitate to uh, jump on there if you need to. It has all the meetings um, within the area. And we also have another New Zealand website, which is aa.org.nz. And that will give you the meetings throughout the whole country. It will give you some tips. There's so much to read on there. Uh, there's also stationery, things that you can buy, books that may help. Um, so, yeah, please don't hesitate to jump on there. That's aa.org.nz. Or you could post us a letter. We do like that. You can send that to P.O. Box 6115, Dunedin North and Dunedin 9059. It has been an absolute pleasure to be with you this evening. I'm going to go out with a track that my son has chosen. He just discovered the other day, and it's from the White Stripes, and it's called Seven Nation Army. Thank you.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.